a QC microbiology analyst for a pharmaceutical company, medical scientist position, a laboratory manager position. Are there any jobs in biomedical sciences? Of course there are. Let's talk about it from beginner to advanced. Hello, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Job Hunter series in the BioLab Collective with Jack Wayne podcast. Let's set some ground rules. One, the advice I give here is not a guarantee you'll get these jobs. I don't know anyone the selection committees. I'm not on the selection committees. It's just my strategy for how I would apply for these jobs. Two, when you apply for the job, it's not actually about that specific job. You're setting yourself up for future jobs that rely on the template and the groundwork you lay when you put together a job application. Applying for jobs is a skill. And like any skill, it compounds the more you practice that we're all about repetition and atomic habits on this channel. Three, yes, job applications are about the detail, about the minutia, but we really want to consider your overall impression. As I said, the first impression is often the lasting impression you leave on people. And to help with this, I have set up what I refer to as the HALO framework. Headlines, activities, lessons learned, and outcomes. You want the recruiters and the employers to leave with this halo of goodwill with this halo of positive impressions about everything that you do. And this is also sometimes referred to as an elevator pitch. You want to make employers feel like you're walking away with a halo of goodwill that you're going to be the next star they hire and recruit. And we're going to begin with a graduate entry level job, a QC microbiology analyst for a pharmaceutical company. The selection criteria is quite a bit more vague for these entry-level positions than they would be for an advanced position. Often they're not expecting graduates to come in with too much more than maybe some volunteer experience outside of their formal study and qualifications. They're really just looking to see if you jump off the page or if you have any red flags that might eliminate you. Certainly when they hire a recruitment company like this job has to advertise a job, they're really trying to whittle down the candidates just based on who's making the most number of mistakes in their job application. If you're looking for selection criteria, slash cover letter in a resume, I'm expecting a whole thing to be maybe four or five pages, perhaps a maximum of 10 pages. If you've got more than that, unless the job advertisement really calls for it, an easy way to eliminate all of these CVs. Another red flag that might be in your application, certainly for entry level positions, is not answering the question. It's the same problem that we see for exam or test questions at university. Students are just feeling very anxious. They're not actually reading what's asked of them in the question. They're just spewing everything they know in a random order and not organizing the information anyway. So putting your CV together with subheadings organized in a way that matches the selection criteria very carefully, a one-to-one -one really shows that you're not trying to be too creative. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. There's not any crazy graphics or interesting borders on your template is just nice and plain. I would address your qualifications, your Bachelor of Science, your major microbiology or related discipline in like a single line after your name. What your qualifications are, BSc bracket microbiology major, what university is from, that doesn't even have to take up a paragraph, it's just a single line after your name. Good understanding of microbiology, virology techniques, that could be implied through something like your grade point average or GPA at university. In Australia, we usually use a one to seven scale. I believe in the USA, you use a up to 4.0 scale. So in Australia, a GPA of 4.0 would be absolutely terrible. But if you are applying in America, a GPA of 4.0 would mean you're a borderline genius. Just know what you're applying for. The laboratory techniques and competencies seem to be the most relevant and most stringent requirements. You need to have ASAP technique, cell culture, 
Perpetuating experience, if you've never done these assays before, you're probably going to get ruled out of this application before you even go into it. So I would expect in your application to reveal some situations, if not multiple projects, through which you've applied these skills. If you've ever been involved in any research publication where your skills were used to create that research, I'll put that in. So for example, cell culture, you could say I've done X number of hours of cell culture or 10 different cell lines. What kind of cell culture have you done? There's cell passaging. There's also cell splitting, which is very routine, changing media. There is deriving a stable cell line where every single cell is expressing the same kind of transgenic mutation. There is generating mutants. So the more specific you can go into about exactly what it is that you know about these techniques, in which situation you've applied them, that really showcases your understanding of the skills. Because there's not actually that much that's listed there. You really have to give a lot of detail and a lot of specificity when they don't ask for too many things because when there's not that many requirements on paper they're looking to read between the lines you need to give them that information without them even asking for it so this is how i would write the selection criteria i will go through and copy this text and put in subheadings before i even write anything i would have a subheading for quality control testing a subheading for validation of quality control assays if you've ever designed any experiments and have to publish that in some forum some kind of public facing forum in a research paper or in a conference presentation this would be the place to put that kind of information writing standard operating procedures Again, being as specific as possible, what kind of standard operating procedures, for what range of techniques, in what kind of laboratory setting, how many other people have used your SOP, that'd be very useful. And the cell culture testing, assay preparing, asepsis technique, I would have subheadings for all of those. So altogether, that is six subheadings. And for each subheading, I would put down as many dot points as I could about the ways I've demonstrated experience or validated my abilities over the years and what kind of projects I have. So I would go through and find every example I can think of where I've been involved in quality control testing. I would write down every single QC assay I've ever had to validate. I would make a list of all the SOPs that I've managed. And when you're applying for the job, don't include it as a giant PDF dump, but certainly have a list and you can say available upon request if the hiring manager or the recruitment consultant company really wants to see that information. And the cell culture testing, as many different types of cell cultures that you've been involved with, same goes with assays, pipetting and aseptic technique. You're not trying to write a perfect in the first go. You're just trying to get a rough draft on the page and dot points is the easiest way to do it. Have a huge list of dot points relevant to every single thing you've ever been involved with for every one of these selection criteria and go ask one of your former co-workers or your former supervisor to just go through the list and have a look at it for you as long as they're aware that you're applying for the job and it doesn't make your current role harder say hey is there anything i've missed here like have i done other things that i should be listing out and documenting that'll be a very useful exercise once you've done that have a look at these kind of intangibles that are also part and parcel of position descriptions. You need a Bachelor of Science majoring in microbiology or a related discipline. So if you have a related discipline that could be beneficial, for example, something like biostatistics or data analysis or some kind of bioinformatics, some kind of computational programming, if you could squeeze that in there under any or multiple of these subheadings that might show you've got a few more tricks up your sleeve. Also, good understanding of microbiology, virology technique. Are you being explicit with your level of understanding or are you implying that you've got a good level of understanding and how are you revealing that level of understanding? Strong attention to detail. Yes, you can just say, I have strong attention to detail, but that's telling rather than 
Show it. Just show them you've got strong attention to detail. Show them you've got excellent communication skills through your written work. And I think the best way to showcase this is to give examples of projects that you've seen through to completion, projects that you've been a part of that you've collaborated with. So for example, you could say I did a summer research project where I isolated these viral particles from the cell line. And in that project, I had to talk to a lot of different people, communication skills, had to keep a lot of records because we need to pass the notes between different lab members or trial and the same thing. That's strong attention to detail as well as good communication skills. You can say to actually isolate those viral particles, I had to culture these cell lines. There was contamination risk, of course, so you need to have good preparing technique and good ASIC technique not only that, that isolation protocol took a lot of refinement over time. So you had to trial it and you have to optimize for different variables. And when you give that project as a subheading, that evidences all of these attributes across all the selection criteria in a neat little parcel. And you fit that within one of these subheadings so that the recruiter sees, okay, six selection criteria, six subheadings. Oh, there's a few clear examples where they're demonstrating all of these different attributes that we're looking for all in one. That's how I would apply for this entry level position. The headline that you would be able to grab as a recent graduate, there's probably not that many things you could do that are so impressive, but if you're comparing yourself against other graduates, it could be your grade point average or GPA or the extracurricular activities you do. It could be the fact that you've already interned at a laboratory-based pharmaceutical company all throughout your studies. So being strategic right from the first year of your studies to manage extracurriculars along with your study is really, really valuable. In terms of the activities, yes, it's going to be the courses you've taken, it's going to be a major, but really specifically, it's the kind of skills and the kind of laboratory techniques that you've learned throughout your studies, as well as any volunteer work you've done in summer research projects or winter research internships that would give you that extra edge. The lessons learnt, the L in Halo, is a really neat narrative tool. It doesn't portray you as someone who's incompetent, but it paints the narrative of how you would approach learning any skill. The start of optimizing an experiment. All the parameters were a little awry, but you decided to tweak one of them at a time until eventually one by one you fixed it where you got a neat SOP at the end, and that is your lessons learned. That illustrates your approach learning, how you would manage a process of figuring out how to optimize an experiment. And that's exactly what they're looking for in that job. And that can lead to the final O in Halo outcome. How many SOPs did you finalize and validate using that approach? How many different projects did you deliver? Something tangible like a research paper or a conference presentation or a really high grade, really good reference. All of that is evidence of the Halo framework at play. Job number two is the medical scientist position based at Royal Melbourne Hospital. And again, even if these jobs don't interest you, this is a very useful exercise. I wrote 50 job applications before I landed any kind of job interviews after I finished my PhD. And the first one I wrote was not very good, but it set the template for all of the other job applications that I wrote from that point on. And the final one that I submitted and the final one that I'm still using a version of to this day is based upon that first one I wrote. So this is a long-term process that you need to get better at. Applying for jobs is a skill, is not inherently baked into your qualifications. Even though this is a more advanced position, a medical scientist, not an entry-level QC analyst, you need to go through the selection criteria and make some subheadings. You need a Bachelor of Science, Bachelor of Science Honors, some version of equivalent qualifications. You need organizational time management skills, written verbal communication skills, self-motivated with a strong work ethic, work independently as part of a team, 
prioritized task in a vibrant workplace, commitment to live in the Melbourne way. It's a little bit full on, but okay. Putting people first, leading with kindness and achieving excellence together, meaning that you're a team player, experience in a virology lab, experience with mammalian cell culture, molecular biology experience, such as nucleic acid extraction, PCR sequencing, experience in working in a NADA accredited laboratory. If this was me, there's a couple of ways I would apply writing this selection criteria. So I could make the essential criteria the subheadings, time management, organizational skills, written verbal communication skills, self-motivated with a strong work ethic, independently prioritized tasks, commitment to live in the Melbourne way. So I could do that. And for the desirable, certainly experience in a virology lab, experience in mammalian cell culture, molecular biology experience, and experience working in another accredited laboratory. But look, that is a lot of subheadings. That's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's like 10 subheadings. And remember, my limit usually is like four to five pages for the whole thing. Cover letter, CV selection criteria is kind of my, my maximum, unless of course you don't have a choice, so you go to 10 pages. The recruiter does have a responsibility to read your full application, unless of course AI is involved in ranking your applications, it's becoming more and more common. So then they might just rule you out without reading everything. So if you need to keep it within four or five pages in total, 10 selection criteria is an awful lot to get through. So what you might wanna do is either group them together, organizational skills, time management, written verbal communication. You could potentially put those together. Self-motivated with strong work ethic, ability to work independently. Maybe you pair those two things together and talk about them as a collective and prioritize tasks in a vibrant workplace and being a team player. Those could be two things. And for the desirables, if you've got those desirable selection criteria, I would put those as examples of projects you've been involved with under all of these essential selection criteria. So for instance, organizational skills, time management, written verbal communication, under that first thing, I would say, look, I've been working in a virology lab where we have had to collaborate with other people in industry as well as academics. And we were able to be very productive. We did all these experiments. We organized the calendar. We set up cleanup rosters. We published these papers together. We went to these conferences. Straight away, you're seeing, oh, I've got a desirable virology laboratory candidate. And also that's under the selection criteria that's essential. So that's two birds with one stone. You're saving the recruiter time when they're reading it. I would use the wording that's present in these selection criteria, I wouldn't reword it. So I would say I've experienced in a virology laboratory as the heading of the sentence. I wouldn't like try and rephrase it to be too colorful in what you're saying. Uh, same thing goes with experience with mammalian cell culture. I have experience with mammalian cell culture in doing this, this, and this. Using these keywords in your response to the selection criteria is very much like answering exam questions or test questions in university. The marker odds are are looking for the keywords first. Don't rob the recruiters of that opportunity to the keywords in your selection criteria. Straight away, you're seeing that this is a more complex application, mid-career kind of job that people tend to apply for. The experience you need to succeed in this role is more advanced, I would say, than that entry-level QC analyst role. And again, grouping your past experiences and being able to isolate elements and traits and outcomes from each of these experiences, categorizing them under the right essential selection criteria, that'll be the trick. So again, put your subheadings together, right? So whether it be the six essential selection criteria, and for each of these subheadings, put little projects that cluster all of your experiences and demonstrates your values and outcomes in one little neat bundle. So if you worked in multiple labs, this project had this paper, I worked with these people, we delivered these outcomes, I wrote these SOPs, be as specific as possible. The next one, I was more involved in PCR, DNA sequencing, nucleic acid extraction. The next one is working in a team, subheading all the dot points of everything that you've done and how you've been able to deliver outcomes. And once you got your dot points, then you want to think about writing them 
cohesively in a paragraph. You cannot be submitting a cover letter and selection criteria that's dominated by dot points. There can be some dot point lists in there, but you should have a cohesive narrative-based writing because your career is a story. Every job that you land is the next pillar on your path towards greatness, the next stepping stone that will take you to the job that you're applying for right now. So you gotta tell that narrative. And the best way that I know of how to tell a narrative, halo framework, headlines, activities, lessons learned, and outcomes. The headline and halo just might be how many years you've been at it because they want someone with a lot of experience across a range of very many different laboratory skills that are relevant to that virology enteric viruses unit. So it could be you worked as a researcher on enteric viruses for 15 years, you've got all these papers, but now you wanna to move towards medical clinical diagnostics. So that could be your headline or it could be you've won these awards for being such a good clinical laboratory technician or that you've mentored so many people. So you gotta think about the key headlines that sit on top of all of the list of activities that you've done and the list of activities for that medical scientist role is pretty exhaustive. You go through the selection criteria one by one and list out the activities. But again, that narrative tool of lessons learned is very powerful. What techniques did you learn when you first started working in clinical diagnostics? How has the field shifted since? Were you working previously with purely cell culture techniques? Now you moved on to more molecular diagnostics and how did you approach learning that? The outcomes, are you equally proficient at both? If the molecular side of the lab broke down and you had to revert back to old school viral diagnostics using some kind of antigen-based assay, do you have to know how to design your own assay? Do you have to know how to test it using SOPs you've established yourself? Again, that HALO framework works neatly in the medical scientist role, a little bit differently than the QC analyst. The last part of that desirable selection criteria is working within a NATA accredited laboratory and experience working in a NATA accredited laboratory. Hopefully you know whether or not you have worked in a NADA accredited laboratory. Usually that means you're doing clinical testing up to a certain scale. You're dealing with thousands of patient samples. Just in case you aren't brushed up on what NADA accreditation means, it's all very easily Googleable. You can go to the NADA website, which is linked in the show notes for this episode, and look at the accreditation packages. You can Google the right ISO number for that specific accreditation. I have a little bit of a read. What I wouldn't do is, unless you really have the funds, to go along to these NADA education courses, because these tend to be very expensive. They're very important understanding these ISO systems and understanding the GOP, the good laboratory practice or good clinical practice, very essential, but they're usually pretty expensive courses. We're talking $1,500 to $2,000 per course. Odds are the most frequent way people attend these courses are you already have this job and your employer pays to send you to these accreditation courses once a year, once every two years. That's the more common way to do it. I wouldn't pay $2,000 to do the course just so you know what NADA accreditation means in a job interview, that's not a good use of money. Having said that, many universities will have these free professional development training courses for their staff. So if you're something like a PhD student and you do a bit of casual work for the university, you're eligible to sign up for these professional training courses through something like Workday and it's free for you. So attend as many of these, it might seem like laborious professional development courses, but out there in the quote unquote professional world, these courses to access them, it actually costs a lot of your own money. So take advantage of the universities that offer these free training resources 
resources all the while you're studying and preparing for the workforce. The last job that we'll talk about today is a laboratory manager position at the University of Adelaide. You're working within a center of excellence, I believe. It is going to be a really big research group with 28 researchers based at the University of Adelaide. And as always, let's break down the system. Look at the selection criteria, essential to desirable, make a subheading for every one of these selection criteria, and then dot point list down all the things that you've done that might fit within these selection criteria. And then you convert those dot points into cohesive paragraphs telling the narrative of what you learned when you started those jobs, who you work with, what you were able to refine or improve over time, and what are the outcomes you delivered at the end and give the numbers, the number of hours, the number of experiments, the number of samples, the number of patients, the number of grants, the dollars, the publications, give the numbers. And this is by far the most advanced job out of all three that we're going to talk about. You will not be able to squeeze in a line for every single duty that's under these essential selection criteria. Each of these selection criteria straight away are more complex and more difficult to unpack than all the other selection criteria in the previous two jobs. You can see one of these knowledge of legislative requirements of PC2 laboratory operations, waste disposal labeling, risk assessment, incident reporting, storage tracking. Next one is really complex, a whole list of laboratory experiments. Pretty much use each of these subheadings and again, try at the beginning to make it a dot point list of everything you've done. This is where narrative becomes so important, where people don't really know the depth to which you've use these skills in your previous experiences. So putting projects and outcomes and deliverables under the subheadings of each of these selection criteria would be the way that I would approach it. So for this job, I think the cover letter actually matters a lot more than all the other jobs because they need to know if you have these really broad range of experiences, talking about how many years of experience you have and how many different types of projects that you've done and what kind of grant funding has come through the research labs that you've worked with, type of research that you've managed and how many publications have arisen from this kind of work, what kind of legislative requirements and compliance that you've managed over the years. All of that should be very self-evident from the cover letter. And then within these projects, you can then knuckle down into telling us exactly what type of experiments you've been involved with managing, exactly what type of problem solving you have done, exactly what kind of health and safety standards you have to manage, what kind of risk assessments, how many people that you've mentored or supervised over the years. Idea of customer-focused outcome wasn't even a thing in the previous jobs. The customer, in your case, is going to be, yes, your immediate supervisor, the principal investigator or the professor who's managing the lab, but all the other researchers who work in this environment are your customers, as well as the people who are regulating or auditing the lab and the quality of the research and the ethical integrity standards. They are the customers you need to please to make sure that everything else runs smoothly. So the soft skills involved in doing this kind of work is really important. The amount of rapport that you might need to have with the researchers in this team in the interview, I would not be surprised if you get asked the question, hey, if this machine breaks down and there's a lot of researchers very angry at you, how would you handle that situation? You found out that the lab is not compliant with the safety standard and an auditor is coming next week. How would you approach the situation? Or, hey, there's a lapse in the ethical requirement or the ethical reporting from this project. How would you manage that conflict? Those soft skills take a long time to develop 
but everyone has had to develop them over a long career if you're applying for these advanced level jobs. And the more you can tease that out and hint at it in the written application, you can expand upon that in the full job interview and it seems like a very cohesive narrative. You're reinforcing what they've already read and it helps make you a more memorable candidate that stands out above the rest. And this is a recurring theme that we'll explore in the Job Hunter series. The advanced level jobs actually rely a little bit less on technical skills than the entry level jobs. You would think it's the other way around. You would think the advanced level jobs have so much more technical expertise than the entry level jobs. But at the higher levels, these advanced jobs in science and technology in business tend to be more about managing people than the science of the tech itself. So putting yourself in positions to develop those soft skills, any job that forces you to talk to a lot of people every single day, that is a very good training ground for these advanced level roles. So don't just find jobs that don't require you to talk to anyone, even if you're an introvert like myself. You could do something like a startup podcast and force yourself to put the reps in to talk to people even if no one is watching or listening. And this is a skill that will slowly build up your career over time and set you up for long-term success. Halo framework, headlines, activities, lessons learned, and outcomes. The halo is even more important because there's so many little details. You couldn't possibly list all of your activities, each of which is more complex than the next. You can't do so in any reasonable number of pages. So the headliners have to be, what's the biggest projects you've worked on? What's the most complex projects you've managed with the most number of patients, the most number of samples, the highest budget, the most number of publications, the highest H indices, the most prolific researchers. It's all about that headline or all about your stakeholder engagement as well. The list of activities there, again, is probably more about breadth than depth to show you know how to connect the dots, to connect the lab work to maybe the clinical work and definitely to public engagement, to grant funding, to industry, your ability to connect the activities through that narrative, which again really works well in the lessons learned, the L in Halo, manage relationships and foster collaborations between different sectors in your role as a laboratory manager or manage conflict and resolve tensions. That is really great narrative tool to talk about your lessons learned and those go hand in hand with the outcomes. As a laboratory manager, you're not really judged by the number of publications you're on. It's a nice gravy bonus. It's a nice little cherry on top, but certainly it's not the key performance indicator for you. It's going to be your word of mouth, how smoothly the lab runs. Really, if everything goes well, your name shouldn't come up because you've made it run so smoothly that people don't even notice you're doing your job. You have delivered outcome after outcome quality assurance, safe accreditation, ethics compliance, safety management, all of these things are smooth sailing. Your outcome is a smooth and safely run laboratory environment. And that is how you meet the HALO framework. That's for now. I'm Jack. See you in the next episode.